speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken the word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood my 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be with you, church family. Uh, I want to tell you a story. It was a brisk morning in the spring of 1976. All the other students at Norwalk Brethren Elementary School were playing in the playground while I was engaged in a rather epic dodgeball battle with my fourth grade lads against the mighty sixth graders. We were holding our own when suddenly Sprinting across the playground was a small brown beagle. Trailing it was our faithful PE teacher, Mrs. Ralston. Blowing her whistle while running, trying to catch up to this elusive canine, excited with hundreds of children on a playground and balls bouncing everywhere. Dogs get excited. She suddenly waved her arms and yelled at us to everybody gather at the swings, the swing set area. And after a few more throws of the dodgeballs, we complied. And she eventually corralled the beagle and drug it to the recreation closet and promptly deposited in and locked it. We were instructed to stay away. The principal, along with several other teachers, let us know that morning recess was over and we should all go back to our classes immediately. Well, all during that morning was I focused on math, English, Bible? No. In my heart and several other close friends, we were planning a scheme to rescue this dog that had been unjustly imprisoned by these terrible jailers. So at lunchtime, we ate the fastest lunch known to man. I remember sliding two Twinkies in my mouth almost simultaneously. That was my dessert back then, because you could get a double pack of Twinkies. So I don't recommend that now, of course. But. You know, back then in the 70s, man, that was cool. And we devised a plan. The lady was uh, caught off guard. And after we ate, we ran over there. And there was this clothing rack. And pretty much all schools seem to have this. Kids leave jackets and sweaters around, 
I don't know what it is, but they just, there's hundreds of them, and they came up with this rack, and there were always a few extra clothes hangers there. Back then, the only kind we had were metal. And so we snuck over, got one, I unwound it, and we snuck over there, tried to pick the lock. Lo and behold, it actually worked. <laughs> Probably another profession I should have considered, huh? <laughs> and when we opened that door, that dog sprinted at us as if to say, thank you, thank you, and just jumped on us, licking our faces. It was wonderful. And it, it seemed like it lasted forever, but I'm sure it was only seconds. And then like some great sprinter, Mrs. Ralston was right over us, <laughs> dragged us all up. The principal met us. We all went to the principal's office. We lined up there one by one in these chairs in the hallway. And we each, one by one, were called in. And I don't know where I was in the lineup. I know I wasn't first because I know I heard the sound of whack, whack, whack. And I, some of you are probably, what is that? Well, in the 70s at a private school, guess what? That was kind of normal. And so we all got talked to. We all got a paddling, if you will, a lecture, uh, the possibilities of rabies was mentioned, torn flesh from this dog, disobeying staff, breaking and entering, and calling parents. So this fourth grade event taught me much about authority and left an impression on my backside for several days. And I learned authority isn't so much about the what, it's about the who. When we come to the book of Daniel, church, we come to the, one of the most intriguing works in the Bible, filled with timeless truths that are just as relevant as this morning's breaking news. And if you haven't viewed the Bible project on Daniel yet, on what we're a part of, the, the video there, and it's a nine-minute video, so watch it. But it's really good for laying down the basics of the, the whole book of Daniel, uh, which is difficult to do in a, a sermon time when we're all gathered together. So I invite you to check that out. But in Daniel, we're introduced to young Daniel, as it begins, probably about 15 years old, teenagers, so you're good in good standing there. And they were captured by the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, in about 605 B.C. And he lives this long, eventful life in a foreign land, about 70 years of ministry. And we learn about, of course, as we read through Daniel, the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar's animal-like behavior, Literal handwriting on the wall, which is where that phrase comes from, this book. Surviving uh, in the lion's den, amazing visions of angels, beast rising from the sea, a talking little horn with eyes and a big mouth. And though there is eschatology in it, the study of end times, and though there's an emphasis on the person and work of the Messiah, the overarching theme in the book of Daniel is the sovereignty of God, where God is in control. And every page reflects that God is Lord of individuals, you and me. He's Lord over nations, and he's Lord over history. 
God is the authority. And oh, do we like to buck up against that, right? That's our issue. That's every human being's issue where if you can make it to two, you already start doing it. Mine, mine. And we just get better at it after two. We do. But the Bible, of course, calls that sin. But I want us to come away this morning with three observations from our text where, again, Daniel is probably in his mid-80s when we read this last part of Daniel and he's had all these visions and he's going to have this uh, final one where it's in the middle of this time of prayer. Three observations. The first is this. God's authority is often expressed in life's cultures and conflicts. First, I want us to see God's kingdom culture, and it, it, it shows up in the book of Daniel uh, by the, the people's names, where Daniel is named by his parents when he was little, when they were still in Palestine and Israel, uh, because the name means God is my judge, right? And anybody that's named Dan or Daniel, right, that's the root of your word. There's something about God in your name. It's, it's the culture. And it's not in our text this morning, but I want you to know these three Hebrew boys that are kind of always attached to Daniel, which is, if you're going to be like mentioned with another person, Daniel would be a good guy to be mentioned with. And their names are, the Hebrew names are Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious, Mishael, who is what God is. And Azariah, meaning Yahweh has helped or is helping. But we don't remember these names, do we? Our culture has pretty much vanished this. If I were to ask the whole congregation, even people to text online today, what are the real names, the first names, the given names of Daniel's buddies? Probably not even five or ten, I would imagine, out of the whole congregation could remember their names. But if I were to say, hey, well, do you remember the three Hebrew boys? Everybody would text or say, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? Everybody knows that. I went back in our, in our culture in America, and even in the 30s, there was kind of a jazzy song that was the rage, and Louis Armstrong even picked up on it and played. So they, as they toured America, this is before we got into World War II, you could hear this. There were three children from the land of Israel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego took a trip to the land of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach. I'm not going to go on and on. <laughs> but in a, it would be great to have like a little jazz quartet there. And then he would play his horn, right? So, but inadvertently, they were teaching the whole culture this was their names. But those names were given to them by a pagan ruler that had something different. So check this out. In the Babylonian culture, which is pagan, meaning not about the one true God, Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar, meaning Bel, please protect his life. And I have a feeling that Daniel had such a high position 
uh, and he was the only one that could interpret dreams when you read the whole book of Daniel, it's almost like saying, this is the guy that's going to protect whoever the king is, right? And he went through several different rulers during his time in Babylon and then into Persia. Well, his god was named Marduk, which was kind of the patron god of the, the Babylonians. Shadrach. So that was the first guy's name changed to the command of Aku, which was the moon god. Meshach, who is what Aku is, rather than who is what the Lord is. And that's the moon god also. And then Abednego, and probably better pronounced Abednego, the servant of Nego, and that he was like the god of wisdom for them. So every time somebody would yell at these young guys, they would hear a new name with reference to one of the pagan deities, no longer remembering the God of Israel, the name that you kept. But of course, we read the story, and they certainly didn't listen to that. They were in the culture, but not of the culture, and they made an amazing impact uh, where they were. Now, name changes are not strange to Bible students, right? If you read through the whole Bible so far, uh, Joseph had a name change in Genesis 41. Uh, Hadassah is actually known by her Persian name. We'll get that in a little bit. Esther in our full story. Nobody knows. Who's Hadassah? Nobody would. They probably think it's some terrorist guy. Yeah, that's Esther's real given name. Peter, okay, Cephas was his first name. Saul, everybody knows. Now we call him Paul. Name changes. But in our story, in each case, the Hebrew name contains a reference to the one true God, whereas its Babylonian counterpart involves an allusion to a pagan deity. Well, practically, maybe we should take great care of what we name our children. Are we influenced by the culture of our day or Almighty God? Who's the authority in our life? Just not throwing stones. Just something to think about. Now, the culture is one thing, and we see God working even in the midst of culture, but also the conflicts. And we know that Daniel was saying he, he was praying. At this point, we don't really know uh, what he's praying about. Uh, but it seems like there was this amazing revelation to Daniel. And so we see his reaction to the conflict, though. First, we, when we were reading there, he, he was in mourning. When you're in mourning, your spirit is like literally crushed, right? It's just broken. And uh, maybe not so much anymore in our day, but not too long ago, at funerals, people would wear darker colors or black colors, and not just on the day of the funeral, right? To let everybody know that they were in mourning. There was an outward expression to what's going on inside emotionally, and uh, so as that goes away today, people are like, well, how do we know if that person's in mourning or not? You know, do you have like a card? You know, hey, I'm in mourning, or I'm on this medication, or what's the deal? Why was Daniel crushed? Well, maybe he was getting negative reports from the promised land, because by the time Daniel's in his mid-80s, if this is true, then people are already starting to go back to 70 years that we learned about before that Jeremiah prophesied is done and King Cyrus is already sending people back. And maybe not a lot of people want to go back. 
I was thinking about this when Pastor Logan was preaching um, a few weeks ago now. Seems like forever ago, right? In the summer, things just kind of go... He was like passionately preaching about when the exiles had to go to Babylon, how they were going to be planted there, and they were going to make gardens and be a part of it. Guess what? So many people did that, they didn't want to leave and go back. They wanted to stay. Hey, we got a plush life here in Babylon. Who wants to go back to that dusty, dirty Israel? Everybody's picking on us all the time. Well, that could have upset Daniel. Uh, the we, reports were coming in maybe that people were building their houses there rather than focusing on God's house. Daniel had a mourning. Do you have a mourning? What I mean by that is do you have something that's like a real burden in your life that like is just crushing you? Something going on at home? You got a wayward kid or grandkid, it just crushes you. Well, that was Daniel. We know that he fasted. He said he fasted. Uh, he needed revelation. He wasn't just doing it, you know, for some diet thing to lose 10 pounds to get into a new suit for a new celebration. Fasting basically is the biblical practice of abstinence from food with a spiritual goal or purpose in mind. That's it. That's why people fast in the Bible. And they sense God calling them to do that. And we fast not to obligate God to do something, but because our hunger for him exceeds our desire for food. Mm. But I know in the Western church, we know more about feasting than, than fasting, right? And it's, it's pushed down so much that, yeah, that's legalism, da-da-da-da. Well, every person in the Bible that's really ever been used by God fasted at times in their life in church history. Everybody, men, women, young people, before great moves of God, there was fasting that accompanied prayer. We ought to think about that. So maybe a, a later study or something if we're really uh, interested or curious. And then, of course, he prayed. Prayer was Daniel's habit. We learned that in the other parts of, of the book of Daniel. And here he is praying again. Um, one of my old professors, Dan Crawford, said, prayer begins with God and continues as we experience his presence. So that way it kind of breaks down all the extra stuff. Okay, as long as I'm experiencing God's presence, right, I can be in prayer with him. It's a two-way communication. But what's really happening when we pray, church, I think it can be overwhelming for some people. I think it can be confusing for some people. Like if you, like some churches, when the people come to pray, all of a sudden they pull out a separate voice when they pray. Have you noticed that? Not in our church, thank God. <laughs> but in a lot of other churches, it's like, now I'm talking to God. Oh, God, and you never hear that person talk like that in your life, anywhere that you see them in the playground or on work sites, in the grocery store. They talk in a completely, why does God like, get a different voice when you walk into church? It's like you're separating them from all the other areas of your life. God doesn't want us to do that, right? 
So I think it can be confusing, and what happens is a lot of people just don't do it because they're like, well, I don't have one of those extra voices, Brian, to pull out, so I'm not going to pray. And certainly, if I'm in a small group, if somebody were to ask me like, to do a short prayer, I'd rather have a heart attack and die <laughs> than to do that because I can't pray like sister so-and-so, right? It shouldn't be that way, church. I want to simplify this, if I can, with two grand purposes, and there's probably hundreds of reasons to pray. This is why I believe God gave us prayer. One was to join God in his work, and the other was to allow God to change us. Look at the, what the Bible says. Uh, this is in Acts 13. So this is the New Testament church is going along. They're, they've already been in persecution. There's this awesome church in Antioch in Syria that has left Jerusalem because of the persecution, and this is what it says. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It was like right in the middle of a prayer meeting, God sets apart in the church of Antioch, Antioch the first missionaries that were ever called and probably the, the two most famous missionaries of all time. I mean, good grief. Paul ended up writing almost half the New Testament. <laughs> and it came about just from some Christians praying together. What do we think is supposed to happen when we get together and pray? Well, we should read the Bible. <laughs> um, maybe we can all be praying for what God wants to do next week when a bunch of our young people get together at Dinky Creek. Yeah. The second pur purpose for prayer is to allow God to change us. And I think for me, <laughs> I know why, this is why when I avoid prayer, it's because I know he's coming after me. And so I know if I don't enter prayer, I don't have to deal with what God wants to deal with in my life. Just being honest. What does the Bible say? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And most of us stop right there and we learn Romans 8, 28. And we're like, man, that's an awesome verse. Everybody memorize it and share it. Not for the world, but anybody that loves God, it, the Bible says that he's gonna work all these crazy things out for you, for me. Doesn't mean that bad stuff isn't gonna happen, but it's gonna work out all right for those who love God. But if we were to read one more verse, it will tell you what's God's main purpose. Check it out. He continues, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. Who is God's son? Yay, see, that was like a Sunday school answer, right? One out of 10 times, if the kid just yells Jesus, eventually he'll be right. Yes. All the crazy stuff that goes on in your life and my life, the ultimate purpose, yes, God's going to get glory, but in your life and in my life, he wants to conform us to look like our elder brother, Jesus Christ, God's son. And when you're going through stuff, man, it's really hard to like, oh yeah, I can't wait, God. But inside your spirit, in your mind, in your heart, if you're like, I totally believe that because God's word says that. It helps you through difficult times, through difficult conflicts. If you know, I don't know how God's going to do it,
but he's going to make me more like Jesus Christ, I got to pray. And by 85-ish, Daniel looked a lot like Jesus because he prayed pretty much his whole life. Well, I got so much to say, but we got to move on. Not only do we see God's authority in, in cultures and conflict, but God's authority, secondly, is ultimately revealed in Christ. Now, normally you would kind of like, if you were teaching or preaching, you would save it for the end of the thing, but I'm just going to let the text speak right here, okay? <laughs> this isn't the end, but this is potentially very confusing, uh, but I believe that at the, the text that Logan read earlier, that Daniel... Uh, is experiencing two different figures in this. And the first one, the man in linen, is actually a Christophany. And what I mean by that is an appearance of Christ. Um, so theophany, and we've said that all through this series, that the, through the Old Testament, it's great about going through the whole Bible, you have to deal with the passages that are there. And theophany is just a fancy Greek word for it's an appearance of God somewhere there. A person experienced God. Well, a Christophany makes it more specific, meaning that the second person of the Trinity, we are a Trinitarian church, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second person of the Trinity actually appeared somewhere before the, the regular full incarnation of Jesus Christ in the first century A.D., can God do that? Well, duh. All that is saying is how awesome is Jesus? He was around before Bethlehem. Just not in that baby form, in that human form like that. It's crazy to think about if you think about it. Uh, we see him in the burning bush with Moses. We see him wrestling with Jacob in the middle of the night. We see him standing before Joshua, before Jer Jericho. You're standing on holy ground, he told Joshua. Take your shoes off. Daniel had previous visions in the book of Daniel, when you read it, of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And now Daniel, uh, he sees this person, and he's like, boom! Everybody just woke up. <laughs> boom! He hit the deck. When he experienced the second person of the Trinity, he just dropped. The strength left him. Oh, Brian, come on, he's 85. We don't have any record of him not be, being able to like go out and play a full round of golf. Did he looked like a healthy guy. I mean, he could fast for three weeks. He hit the deck because he recognized the authority there. When we talk about trembling and shaking, I found this in our, our early American records. Thomas Jefferson said, indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Do you remember in the Gospels when Jesus of Nazareth was put through several illegal trials? right before the crucifixion. They were all illegal. They weren't supposed to do that. It was during Passover. They weren't supposed to have those trials. And during one of the trials where he was with all the Sanhedrin and the heidi-tidies were there and the chief priest and the high priest, it says there, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three, three days. He's misquoting what Jesus was saying. 
And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, which he had been all through these fake trials because he was not recognizing any authority. Pilate, he's just Rome. What is that to God? But then when the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God, then he's like, you know what? God institutes authority. The high priest does have authority here, but since he adjured the living God, I'm gonna go ahead and open my mouth right now. And Jesus said this, you have said so. In other words, you said it, that's who I am. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven quoting Daniel's vision of who the second person of the Trinity is. That's real authority, people. You probably know by what's set up today that we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper, right? Communion together. And reflecting on the cross of Christ and God's salvation plan, we experience that in, in a brief moment on a regular basis. We did the sinning, he did the saving. The eternal mystery of God's greatest glory displayed in his greatest suffering. This is serious business, isn't it? The Bible says we're not to just like stumble into taking communion. Oh yeah, just like having a cup of coffee. Well, one reason Christ came and died was to deal with this great conflict. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. In other words, like your lifestyle is, that's all you do. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was destroy the works of who? Of the devil. We have a little participation problem. That's okay. We'll keep working on it. Destroy the works of the devil. See, i got to get warmed up here, right? School's going to be starting in a couple weeks. The cross wasn't some sneaky move on God's part done behind the scenes. He was going to deal with this enemy himself. Why was it such a big deal? Because he was going to reveal to the world, but especially to those dark forces, his son the awesome Jesus Christ. Which is why, frankly, that's why we split history in two. I know in public schools, you know, uh, we changed it to BCE now, before the common era, whatever. Let's be honest, they split it because of something happened in history. The Bible says this, and you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. In other words, legally, God had us. Everybody's a sinner. We're in trouble because God's a holy God. He demands holiness. But what Jesus did on the cross took that away. You see, there has to be an authority to step in to deal with that. Jesus did that. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, meaning Christ. 
He's not talking about Romans. He's not talking about the Jewish Sanhedrin here. He's talking about other stuff. Hmm. I just want to thank God for a lady named Mrs. Smith, who, when I was a young person, like faithfully taught a Sunday school class and told us about Jesus Christ and our need for him. Trusting that God would work in our life, and he did. And uh, somehow she asked the class one day um, if we've ever made the exciting discovery of knowing Christ in a personal way. <laughs> I didn't know that. And maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone right now about their need for Jesus Christ. You need, like, the major authority to step in because you've been trying to do it your, own, your whole life. Well, this triumph of Christ leads us to our final observation, and that is God's authority is currently displayed in the spiritual dimension. And during this prayer time that Daniel had, he has this incredible vision. Uh, and like I said, I believe the, the middle verses are actually Jesus, but then when he's able to get up, whatever, that's an, actually an angel. It doesn't say the name here, but in, in the previous chapter, the, he says his name's Gabriel. We've seen him uh, several times in the Bible by name, a messenger from God. And so if this is Gabriel or somebody like it, he steps in and he explains to him a little bit anyways, this is what's going to happen and this is what's happening. Man, you, you were fasting, you were praying. Man, we really appreciate that. Um, and right when you started praying and asking, I was sent, which is what angels are, that's what they do, right? They get sent. But I couldn't get to you because there's some stuff going on in the spiritual realm, Daniel, and he probably had no idea about this. But he, now he's being told what's going on. And so somehow there's this angelic creature, if you will, that is over Persia. Babylon is now gone. Persia's running the world. They're making charge changes. They're dictating what's happening in the known world. And Daniel gets this explained to him. I would have fallen back down, I think, after I was told that. Doesn't it seem to you that in like every great story, there has to be a villain? Check it out. Little Red Riding Hood is attacked by a wolf. <laughs> Dorothy must face and bring down the Wicked Witch of the West. Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi go hand in hand against Darth Maul. To release the captives of the Matrix, Neo battles the powerful agents, Mr. Anderson. Frodo is hunted by the Black Riders, Beowulf, kills the monster Grindel, then he has to battle Grindel's mother. The children who stumbled into Narnia are called upon by Aslan to battle the white witch and her armies so that Narnia might be free. Going through the full story that we have as a church since January, what do we know, and especially this passage, well, this, this be simple, real quick, right? Angels are real. They're created beings by God. They're not like us, but they are created. 
which means a spiritual realm does exist. And at times, they seem like they can pop in and be seen, witnessed by us. But for the most part, they do their work in the spiritual realm where we, we don't see. It's real, people. I didn't make this up. I didn't go to some weird school to teach me that. It's in the Bible. You got to deal with it. Just like Jesus died on the crosses in the Bible. It's, it's true. What else? Well, there are good and evil angels, evidently, and now we call those evil angels demons. And those are the villains in the story. And they like to mess things up. And in, during Daniel's time, God's people have been in exile. They've been disciplined. But now God, according to his uh, prophet through Jeremiah, his plan all along was to bring them back because he still had a remnant. He still was going to bring in a family that was going to usher in the Messiah. But villains don't want that to happen, like in all good stories. And we also learned that angels can influence human affairs. Can you say government and leadership? Wow. Uh-oh. Church, is it unthinkable to believe that an evil angel has been assigned to the United States? Russia, China, India, who go on? And then there are spiritual and invisible warfare that's being waged that involves angels right now and us, believers, the church. It's, for, I know for the most part, Christians are like, eh, can't we just talk about other stuff? Man, it's real. It doesn't mean we have to dive off the end. But it's real. We have to be aware of it. And Paul would lay it out smoothly, as he often does, in the New Testament when he says this in the book of Ephesians. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Wow. God, the Bible isn't teaching a dualism where there's this eternal battle between God and Satan. Why? Because it can't be, because Satan's just a created angel who was fallen. He's not deity, he's just an angel. But temporarily in the spiritual realm, the battle rages. So what? What can we possibly apply from this other world story? I'll be quick. Let's try to make this personal here. Number one, I need a fresh view of Almighty God. I, I think as I just observed and experienced it in my life as the church around the world, primarily when the church gathers, I've watched the church, um, how do we present God, right, in like corporate worship? I've seen some crazy stuff where, where churches ended up fighting over styles and colors and even instruments. And well, Satan had us from day one because we weren't even in agreement. How do we present God? Well, he's almighty God. And if you agree on that, that helps a lot right at the beginning. You're not in charge. I'm not in charge. He's in charge. He's almighty God. The Bible says, uh, oh, man. 
I think Moses wrote this psalm, Psalm 90, right? Lord, you've been on our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Do you need to read your Bible again to get a fresh view of God? Do you need to go to the beach and watch the power of the waves? Do you need to go to the mountains? Go to the zoo? Everybody goes to the big animals at the zoo. They're looking for power. They're looking for authority. Oh, awesome. They got a new lion. They got a new elephant. They got a gorilla. We're looking for authority. But it's God. Well, if you have a fresh view of Almighty God, secondly, then this will happen. You'll have a fresh view of authority. Once you see who God is, then you and I can see who we are. And Jesus said it best, right? Matthew 20. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Man, where does this manifest itself? In our attitude to God, of course, but in our homes? Do we know who the authority is in our homes? in our government, in our schools, in our workplaces. Man, it's like a breakdown all across society that was built on biblical principles, but our society has certainly moved away from that, hasn't it, as a whole. My observation, after watching what's going on in Christian media, looking through the Christian magazines, page after page, glossy promotion of personalities and ministries, seeing the huge highway billboards promoting pastors, one might wonder if this isn't an area where we're sinning quite boldly as a church as a whole. It seems like there's a lot more strutting in America, in the American church, than in stooping, humbly. Be like Daniel, right? Hit the deck. And then lastly, uh, how can we apply this? I think if I don't have a morning, if I don't have something that's like burning me, if I don't have something that drives me to prayer, ask God, <laughs> and then get ready. <laughs> Man. One more verse. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Hmm. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Paul's writing that to the church of Corinth. So where there's disobedience, where there's confusion, where there's anxiety, whether there might be persecution, the church shouldn't get angry or worried. We need to get broken. 
the biblical response by all God's people is always, you got to go to your knees because we're not fighting the battle with worldly weapons. But I absolutely, I would bet the, my mortgage, my house, my children, I would bet all of it that I, we would easily get way more people downtown Chowchilla to demonstrate against something than we would just say, come to the church at six and pray. Why? Because we're not broken people. We are not like Daniel as a whole. But I guarantee you, when the majority of the church is mourning for the state of affairs, we will go to prayer. We will. And man, I know that's not easy to hear. I'm like, oh man, Brian, I'm so convicted. I don't want to hear anything about prayer. It's just the truth. Elections aren't won in the ballot box. They're won in the prayer closet. God puts people in. Who are we praying for? I just want to leave you with the words of the old monk, Martin Luther, because this fired me up, and he couldn't say it better. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal, mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Stanza one, we got a killer enemy, the devil. He told the truth. Stanza two, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, capital M. The man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, meaning he's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of the angel armies. From age to age, the same. He must win the battle. That is Jesus Christ. The word above all earthly powers last stanza, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, this wasn't a devotion to make us feel good. The hardest part of following you, God, is when you speak and we have to adjust our lives to your word. So I ask today humbly for grace and faith to obey what you have said to us this day. Amen. Amen. Church, it's a lot to reflect upon this morning. And as we reflect upon the authority of God,